Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. When you loudly launch a company saying it's going to be the best at what it does, you'd better learn how to sell it. They're like, this guy's hustling a lot because I would be on the street asking people to come in and I would tell them what they should wear and how they should <laughs> buy. I, I really should be a sales associate. Uh, I'd be an expensive one, but I, will, I would do well. Hustling is everything, man. Ask them downstairs or, or, or wherever we are in the store. I think hustling is key. This is an invitation to meet Eric Torstensen, the co-founder of Frame, a fashion firm set up in 2012 to create the perfect pair of skinny jeans. Last year, it had 16 stores in places like New York, Aspen, Boston, and now it's just opened in London. I was just here today and made about 20 changes. So I do think stores are it's like a website. It's a, it's a, you know, it's an organic being. It's like you start off like now where this store is a child. It's kind of like it's maybe just moving into puberty next week, and you know, in three months, it will hit some kind of young adulthood. So this is a story about big ambitions, big claims, and how to back them up. You know, I was here at twelve o'clock today. I changed the window display eight times because <laughs> I walked outside, hanging jeans, walked back out. This is the right jeans. No, it's not the right jeans. I love being in our stores. I'm David Marsden from the Evening Standard. Now, speaking to Eric Torstensen is a bit like talking to a whirlwind with his arms flying around as fast as his words are coming out. But maybe that's how you succeed in the notoriously fast-moving, brutal world of fashion. Frame has just opened its new store in London, and when we go to meet Eric there, I'm intrigued about its location. Here we are in your brand new store, just opened a week at the time of recording. We're on Draycott Avenue. You've got Sloan Square just over the road. This is Fashion Central in London. You're making a statement just by being on this street, aren't you, Eric? I hope so. I think it's a statement for us to, one, open a store in London where the brand was born, even though it was made in LA. And two, this is my neighborhood. I lived here for 10 years and... I think the statement is not so much being in the fashion center, but it's very much about this concept I have for our new stores, which is, I call them neighborhood flagships. 
So it's the super brands, the Louis Vuittons and Hermes and Chanel, often have very big stores on very obvious streets that are the best. That being Bond Street in London uh, or Radio Drive in Los Angeles. Frame is a smaller brand with a you know, more approachable price point. And I want to be where our customer lives. And in London, they live here. I want them to feel uh, that they're coming to someone they know and recognize. I want it to be small and cozy is the wrong word, but familiar. Uh, so in reverse, usually brands that are small stores, they don't spend so much money on. My strategy is to do neighborhood flagships where we do ultimate execution, but at a small footprint. And then I have a secondary store concept, which is where our clients go for vacation and travel. So say Aspen or Palm Beach, uh, there we do unique experiences for what that location is. So Aspen, we have a big chrome mountain in the store and mushroom wood on the walls that looks like a cabin. In Palm Beach, we have like a rattan and, and it looks uh, much more Palm Beach, but in frame way. So I think the statement is that, not to do huge flagships, but to be very much your denim and ready-to-wear resource to make everyday chic uh, where you live. But it is an experience when you walk through the door into here, isn't it? It is. What kind of thing are you hoping the customer is going to get as soon as they walk in? How do you want them to feel? How do you want them to respond to what they're seeing? I want them to feel like they have a very elevated experience that is maybe surprisingly elevated because of the price point. I, and or we, I should say, because uh, his company is far more than I, is to present experiences, clothing items, marketing ideas that are of perceived good value. I'm very aware that our clothing is not cheap in any way. We're, we're you know, we're, we're approachable luxury effectively. And I want them to have a luxury experience with fairly priced product for the quality they're in. So uh, they should feel like they're in, in the super brand store, if small, with the frame experience that is approachable for your, you know, seven days a week, nine to eight o'clock uh, every day, feeling great and chic. Something I wanted to ask you about was, you know, we're talking about the experience of walking into stores. There was a lot of online shopping during the, the COVID pandemic. Nothing wrong with buying clothes online. Frame has its own website. But is it different to be able to come in feel something, look at something, imagine how that's going to be to wear and actually see that inside a store. Mm, yes and yes, I think. I think I think the two channels offers different superpowers, if you will. Uh, online is convenience. And uh, in, a, in a retail store, you can have an experience that is different to online, feeling them, touching them, absolutely. Uh, luckily enough, now Frame has been around 10 years this year. And we have a very loyal customer base that knows us and are very comfortable buying stuff online. I do see, though, that when we launch new categories that are in new materials, the physical experience leads when you get to feel the product and so forth, when there's something new. Because I, I believe you have to be, as a brand, very aware of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do for your consumer. And yes, with that, I mean, I learned this from someone you will like this because I, in my previous life, I had a we had uh, an advertising agency, and and I was lucky enough to work for many, many, many amazing founders and creative directors in in the fashion world. And one of them was Mr. Bernard Arnault, who famously has LVMH. And we, we, I, over a couple of years, we handed the Louis Vuitton advertising account, and I got to meet with this, you know, big idol of mine every every sort of Monday uh, in Paris, and. Uh, 
what he said when we had crazy ideas, he said like to himself, am I allowed to do this with Louis Vuitton? And I, as a naive Swedish at the time, 36-year-old or something, said, of course, you're allowed to do anything. You're, you know, the king of the world in this category. He said, no, no, are we allowed to do this? We have to think hard and, and clear about that. And I took that away with me to frame. So we are allowed to do jeans, for example. We are allowed to do cashmere because we've done it for a while. We're allowed to do shirts. Uh, we are allowed to service our customer, as I said before, a bit like nine to five, five days a week. But I do not believe we're allowed to do, you know, high heels. I don't believe we're allowed to do evening wear because our customer is a wealthy, very well-informed woman and she will get that from the super brands. So we are allowed to be best supporting actress to the lead actress, that is Chanel, Sonoran, Celine, you know, Hermes, whatever it might be. Do you want to be Scarlett Johansson? I'm very happy having a bunch of best supporting actresses. Uh, I think it's very important to know exactly what you are and what you're not for yourself, for your brand, uh, in your career, in life in general. Uh, I think it's very sort of sound learning. Uh, I've had it myself where I thought maybe I was something else and then figure out what you are. And, and then that can come in compromises. Maybe it doesn't fit in with your idea. You know, of course, I would much rather own Chanel. Great. But it's not my story. It's not my journey. And I was born on a farm in Sweden. It just doesn't happen that way. Uh, so I'm very happy with this position because I think it's a very, very, very big opportunity globally uh, to be wardrobing this influential, chic woman and man uh, in something that is more style than fashion, effectively. So we're talking about the questions of what you are allowed and not allowed to do. Are you in the fashion industry allowed to be environmentally conscious? It's a massive thing in fashion right now. People are talking about sustainability, the impact of fashion on the world. Are you, Frame, allowed to be, I, I don't know how to put this, um, saving the world? Um, I don't think we're allowed to save the world because I don't think we can, because per definition, we are making products that can never be 100% sustainable. So that's we have to deal with. What we're allowed to do, I believe, is to try to be the best global citizen we can be. Just like I want to be a good person. I think about the environment in, in the selections I do in my personal life, and I believe brands need to be acting like their founders and their teams and the people that work there. And I think everyone at Frame, I mean, our, our teams are amazing. That's especially, you know, they have so much empathy and heart and, and are so incredible, um, more so than me. I try to catch up with them. But I think as a friend to the world, just as I would be a friend to you, if I'm honest, I would say, I can be your friend. Sometimes I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to try my best to be a nice guy, right? Like, And I think I'm a nice guy. I think I'm a nice boss or whatever it might be, but sometimes I will do wrong. And I think that's honest and real. And frame, when it comes to sustainability, I think should have the same position I think we do. Um, we have to lead by example in what we do. Uh, we have done so much more than we ever talk about, for example. That's because we have to do it before. And I believe that uh, we, we are making efforts now and sometimes we communicate them. And that is actually not to market them as they are great commercial opportunities for us. It is more for educating and f our consumer, but also the rest of the industry that it can be done and can be tried to be done. But uh, we should always try to be better and do better. Can we save the world? No, then we should do something else. 
uh, that's for sure. Uh, and that we have to be honest about. You've launched this Pure range, which uh, is an effort and quite a big effort to try and do things differently. Just explain to me and, and for, for listeners at home listening to this, what is Pure? How does it make a difference? Yeah, it's quite easy. Uh, being in the denim industry, which we are and have been since the start, uh, is one of the worst uh, when it comes to fashion manufacturing. It used traditionally used a lot of uh, toxic materials and energy to achieve the wash that you want from jeans. Jeans starts as a row of washes, very dark, and everything you see with holes in it or washed down, they look like you would have for 10 years, takes an enormous amount of energy, and specifically water. Uh, so jeans effectively have mainly three problems. One, it uses a lot of water that we pollute because you use bleach and so forth in it. Two, uh, it has hardware on them that is hard to therefore recycle the whole item. And three, for stretch jeans, uh, it's not just cotton. It's hard to recycle the materials that is used for stretch. Uh, so we've done two big projects, actually. Uh, one before we launched Pure that was called Biodegradable, which we developed the fabric where you can actually put them in the ground. Uh, we have hardware, therefore, that is screwed on that you can screw off and you cut out the zipper and that's good. The second project then is Pure. Uh, that we just launched and effectively there we dealt with the use of water so it ends up being 1.2 liters of water uh, instead of 80 liters of water for one pair of jeans and then the critic which often there are people will say like oh but there's a certain amount of water in the world it goes round and round but uh, the difference here is that it's much less 98 percent less water that becomes polluted and however much you clean that it never becomes as good as it was from the beginning so i think that's a great uh, point and achievement on that and one step forward. And the other thing one should say that all brands have, because I think being honest about sustainability is the most important thing, uh, is that we are often at hand of our, or our destiny is often with the manufacturers and fabric makers and so forth. We don't have our own factories. So as they have started become much better, it's our job to pick the right people to work with that is not always the cheapest, not always the closest and so forth. But it's difficult because sometimes you find someone far away and then you have to ship the fabric and the jeans, for, for example, for them to make it. So it, it's, I think I guess my message is like, it's not easy. We need to try. We need to try our best. But uh, the math of it is complicated and not always what meets the eye. Uh, so uh, yeah, we, we are going to keep trying it. And I think we are definitely there to do it. Uh, I'm working right now on a big big strategy that's going to be called framework that, that deals with uh, with both our product, uh, our practices, and our people in the company. Because I think sustainability also has to do with uh, how we work together. Right, I'm off to look at some jeans. Maybe not the skinny ones, but let's take an ad break and I'll see you in a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you. 
Do you have to make compromises or even sacrifices in order to make your clothes more environmentally friendly? Well, again, yes and no. What I have learned is, is this, that you have to make products that is sustainable, that is as good as a less sustainable product, because otherwise the consumer will not buy it. However much I wish the consumer cared as much as sustainability as we do, they don't. Uh, so it can't be a lesser fit, or it can't be that it bag out as quickly. So there cannot be no compromise. Otherwise, it's not worth doing it. They won't buy it, and then we have to take it back. And then that was not a very sustainable project. So uh, compromise, no, because, yeah, it, it has to make you feel as good as non, non-sustainable clothes, if you will. And the other part is, when I talked about people, it's more like the approach of a company. Why I start, talk a lot about style uh, rather than fashion, is that fashion is, in its word, non-sustainable. It means, you know, replacing things, turning them into fashion, then out of fashion. That's the least sustainable thing you can do. Whereas I think style in a person is is forever. So I don't want to sell, like, newness all the time to my customer. What I, If I'm greedy, what I want over time to grow my business, which I am wanting to, is to have a larger part of their wardrobe that is made with quality and sustainability in mind and then they wear for a long time so their basic wardrobe should be all frame and then we'll all be happy (laughs) but uh, i was just thinking you said that you grew up on a farm there is your own environmentalism part of that memory of of growing up there the ecology and the importance of of the environment oh i wish it was that would be a nice story but no, when, when I grew up, sustainability was not a conversation. I'm old now, you know, in Sweden. All I wanted to do was, I mean, the funny thing is this. And I think many people have the same story. I grew up on a farm where everything we ate, you know, came from the farm, from the vegetables to the meat or whatever it might be. And, you know, my mother was incredible at this and, and so forth. But all I wanted to do was go to my friend's house where the mother was a nurse who smoked under the fan and just had hamburgers every day. That's all I wanted, right? Because I didn't want what we had. So I avoided it at all costs. Now I pay, I don't know, $15 for an avocado in New York City where I live and go, this is not even as good as the tomatoes I had at home. So weirdly full circle. <laughs> uh, but yes and no, I, I think... I'm not that deep to say that. I, I mean, of course, growing up in farm, like you understand much more nature than if you haven't seen it, and and, and the circle of life, effectively, both animals and and uh, uh, crops, different type of crops, and, and and the forest and so forth. But yeah, I, I learned more from watching this for the third time. I watched this documentary about mushrooms and fungi the other night on Netflix, and that was fucking amazing. So. <laughs> I recommend that rather than growing up on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about <laughs> I want to talk about Pure itself uh, as a business. It's ten years now since since uh, you guys set this up. Have you achieved everything you wanted to do by this point? This, no, 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 no. Quite the opposite. I I don't think we. I think the t- the team has achieved amazing things. I don't think I have achieved anything near or what I can see that we can do now. I have never been more excited about Frame and our journey than I am right now, actually. Uh, maybe it has a little bit to do with like the first, I would say, the first six or seven years, myself and Jens, who who started this company, we, we had other jobs. This is our side business. We lived in London, and this was run out of LA. Um, and I think we've done many other things on the side, in a way, 
now Jens is focusing on some of our other brands that we're involved in, and I'm solely focusing on frame since two years. So I'm like, it's like I was training once a week for the previous years, and now I'm like in camp, full full swing. So uh, yeah, I'm just getting started. Just getting started. I did think when I was doing some research looking back, and you talked about how you were in marketing and yeah. ad agencies before, and then you launched Frame. And I did. I wondered how did the fashion industry take that? I mean, is it is it a welcoming place, or was it like, what are these guys doing? What what happened? Um, well, I don't think the fashion industry in general is a very welcoming place at all. But we, I don't think, cared very much, and I think. Both myself and Jens never had, we always had this, this idea f- from before this to, to just try, like just do it like Nike or like Avis used to be. We, we, we number two, so we try harder. And I think that has to do with, we're both Swedish, right? You know, Jens and myself. And we, having a little ship on our shoulders from coming from a small country, we thought we were nobodies and still think we're, I think, nobodies, or at least I do. <laughs> uh, I, I can't speak for Jens, but, but I, no, but I think this idea of trying harder was important. And, you know, we started with an ad agency, we started a PR agency, we started a production company, we started magazines. And even every time people said, like, why are you doing that? You can't do that. You can't do this. And that just made us go, well, of course we should try. If you don't try, how do we know? And I'm not saying it was all good. I'm not saying everyone liked it, but it didn't matter so much to us because the important thing was to do it. So, you know, we were art director for GQ and I was like, but I understood the editor decides everything. So I was like, we should do our own men's magazine. That was Man About Time where we can be editors in chief. But we didn't own that magazine. So we're like, we should start our own magazine where we were publishers and editors and creative directors. That was industry magazine. And then we started Mr. Porter from Natapote where we were like, you know, I was an art director and I was a creative director. And then, you know, I went started taking pictures and they were like, you shouldn't take pictures because you're an art director. I said, but why not? Like, I can't <laughs> afford the best guy in the world. So why should I pay for the average? Like, maybe I average might be okay then. Yeah. Uh, and then I started directing films. Like, why not? And I, I, and the same thing was here. I think we were weirdly like experienced and naive at the same time. The idea was very much that jeans, you don't have to be fashion designer to do. It was largely led by marketing. But we had no idea that we actually entered a market or category that was called premium denim. We didn't even know what that was because we were dealing with a, you know, working with Chanel, Balenciaga, Louis Vuitton. So we're like, okay, so jeans has to be clean and beautiful and come in a box like Chanel and have a beautiful supermodel in the picture, right? And that became disruptive. But we had no idea because <laughs> we were not watching that. We just we didn't know we were entering a certain category. Actually, it was it was it was less planned than you think. But you know. My girlfriend at the time, and still my girlfriend said, like, please don't do this. Like, you don't know what you're doing. She's, she was big in fashion. <laughs> and so did many other people say, too. But that just triggers me to try. Yeah. Uh, and we've done many things that failed on the way, too. But, but I often, if I advise people, I say, There's no, no one is waiting for you to do it. And no one's going to think about how long you thought about what you're going to do. It's just like, you've got to do it. And if that doesn't work out... It leads to the next thing that works out. If that doesn't work, at least the next thing that works out. Uh, we were, you know, fame was, I think, one part luck, one part experience, and one part luck again that it worked out, for sure. Uh, but then you have momentum, you have to, like, roll in. And that's why after a few years, we sold off our agency businesses and said, we're going to lean into now become brand owners. Do you feel like disruptors though? Are you are you the establishment then? Definitely not the establishment. <laughs> I, I really don't want to be the establishment. I also really don't think we are because 
I mean, frame is the reality is that we're not a fashion house in Paris and we're not supreme. Uh, we supply clothes, uh, I think, with a good perceived value, with a certain aesthetic. Uh, I think we dis disrupted the denim industry at a certain point when we came, for sure. And I think we'll do it at times here and there, like we just did, you know, last year a collaboration with the Ritz in Paris with Frame. That was like surprising. Uh, those kind of things I think we've been uh, disruptive in. Uh, but today, like what is a real disruptor? I don't know if they're in the fashion industry. You know, it's, I think that's hard. I mean, Balenciaga maybe, you know, I think Skims, who my business partner Jens, you know, runs now, I think is a disruptor for sure but the real disruptors are are not in fashion what is the future for frame you're back here in london now are we yeah. going to be seeing more frame stores popping up maybe another place yeah uh, retail is a big part of our future strategy our other stores are doing really well so we're sitting in the first one in the uk right now in london of course in brompton cross or Draco avenue uh, i have just signed the lease for a second one in london that will also be a neighborhood flagship like this one in an area where I think our customer live and we can service them. Thinking just back to the very first question we spoke about there, you said that you used to, you used to live around here. You wanted to create a store for the people that live around here. Did you create the store for you? For my girlfriend, at least. This has been an invitation to meet Eric Torstenson of Frame, but as always, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Let's do it again. We're back on Monday morning, but if you hit follow or subscribe, we'll leave the door open for you just drop in whenever you like.